experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. Here in America, we don't tolerate that kind of crap, sir. The Michael Groff Show. Now the only thing anybody's going to remember me for after I die is being that blind guy. Zip code famous Michael Groff Show. You couldn't open a French whore's legs with a wheel of cheese. So if you're confused about what I'm saying, listen very carefully. I quit this bitch. Michael Graff. Do you want me to give you my things I don't care about speech again? Because you know I've updated it to include all white guys who add Izzle to anything. Screw charity. Man, and you know, I pledged $50 to stop diabetes, and then I found out that there's still diabetes. And I'm, I'm like, what? Man, talk about a ripoff. Zip code famous, Michael Graff show. There's an old saying in Tennessee that says, fool me once, shame on Shame on you. It fooled me. We can't get fooled again. A theologist might refer to him as a practical joke from God. A sociologist may refer to him as the voice of reason in a cesspool of humanity. While a philosopher may find him to be the ill-advised punchline to the universe. Or maybe that's a punching bag. Whatever. But of course, you know him as the host of the Zip Code Famous... Michael Groff Show. I guess that would be me. Ooh, check it out. New sound settings in here ever so slightly. I'm noticing it. Sounds good, I, I think. I don't know. If this podcast sucks, we'll just blame the new sound settings. Uh, yeah, welcome in. This is the one and only Zip Code Famous Michael Grav Show. It is Friday, October the 19th, 2012. And mercifully, my God, I can't believe we're, we're just 17 days away from Election Day 2012. And I, I got to tell you, I don't care what happens at this point. I don't care if we elect... I don't care if we elect Fidel Castro, as even as he sits in his coma somewhere in Cuba. I don't really care who gets elected at this point. I just want this to be over. I'm tired of seeing local campaign ads. I'm tired of seeing national campaign ads. And I barely watch TV, okay? But I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of going on YouTube to try and watch a damn video. I'm seeing political ads all over the place. I am tired of it. And I know I come on the air. I do a podcast. I spend, you know, at least most of the show, or at least uh, a good half of it, talking politics and whatnot. And I love it. But at the same time, I will be happy when it's over in just 17 days. Actually, as I'm sitting here speaking into this microphone right now, it's actually less than 17. It's like 16 days, 20 hours, and 14 minutes or something like that. But who's counting, really? (laughs) All right. Uh, Contact information for the program, Mike at KMGX.com. That is our email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-R-O-F-F Show on AOL Instant Messenger. You want to find us over on Google Talk or G-Talk, as the hipsters call it. It's Groff Show. Michael Groff, the handle on Twitter, and of course, the one and only MichaelGroff.com for everything that could possibly be Michael Groff related, including all of our shows, past shows, present shows. I'm sure there's probably a way somewhere in the technology to even listen to future shows. 
at the one and only michaelgroff.com. While you're there, you can always post your comments on this program or any of our previous shows. Even if your messages are completely filled with vitriol, completely hate-filled, you want to troll and flame all over my website with your anger, with your venom, by all means, the one and only michaelgroff.com. You can even donate to this program. I'm just saying you could, if you wanted to, you could donate to this show over at michaelgroff.com. All right, I think I've promoted it enough. Um, it sounds like a political ad. So I'm, my name is Michael Groff, and I approve this message. Yeah. Okay. So much stuff to get into. I had a, uh, I meant to actually uh, read this email on a previous show, but somebody just wrote in and asked me why I talk about these debates and talk politics so much on the on the program when. Number one, the debates, as this listener points out, uh, well, you're not voting for either Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, so why talk about it? And it's a good question, but A, if I didn't talk about it, what else would I talk about? Because it is sort of the biggest news story going on. And that aside, look, uh, 67 million Americans tuned in to watch the previous debate. 60 to 70 million tuned in for the first debate and the vice presidential debate. And obviously even more are going to tune in for the final debate, which I believe is what uh, Monday or Tuesday, or I, I don't even know at this point, I've got my days all confused, but it is coming up next week, the final presidential debate. And so why would I talk about it? Never mind the fact that all those people are tuning in and watching it. Also, I really think metaphorically speaking, it's a national train wreck. It's a car crash. You can't turn away from it. You have to talk about it. Even if you don't like either candidate, it's still something that has to be talked about. And let's be honest. Yeah, I might be in the tank for Gary Johnson and there's no way in hell that I'm going to vote for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney. But that doesn't mean for a second that I don't think it's still fascinating to see how each one of these candidates missteps, uh, deceives, lies, uh, politically dodges just about every issue possible as they bob and weave their way to the presidency, potentially. I do think there's a fascinating aspect to all of that, and that's why I love to talk about it. I, I really do consider myself something of a political wonk, and I certainly enjoy, it to some degree, I don't know, maybe it's a masochistic side of me that uh, certainly, I don't know, I guess it exists. I guess it does because I like to talk about this stuff. I like to torture myself. I like, uh, I don't like what either candidate represents. I don't like the direction that the country is headed in as a result, but I do like to talk about it. And with that in mind, let me just say, man, what a crazy debate that was on Wednesday. So much to talk about and break down from it. I'm not going to even get into the minutia, the lies that went on here. I mean, I will a little bit, but... I think just the presentation was bizarre. First of all, it's one of those town hall style debates. I really hate those. It to me is the biggest waste. I think it would be interesting if you just rounded up a bunch of people and you gathered them in the, in a room and you just had different people step up to the microphone and ask a question. Nobody would vet the questions in advance. There would be, Obviously, you'd have to test to make sure that the people that walked in weren't just a bunch of raving drunks. Although I think that would add even more of an interesting dynamic to it. 
Mr. President, you suck. You know, I think that would be just a, I think that'd be a great way to go. But okay, so you vet some people, you bring them in, maybe you get college students, a combination of like college students, middle-aged, retired, disabled, all these different kinds of people. And then you just have random people step up to the microphone and ask questions. That would be interesting. This whole thing where all the questions are vetted, the moderator is allegedly the only person that knows about the question in advance, which, of course, isn't true. We know that. Even if it were true, you know that both candidates have been very well prepped on these issues well in advance. So it's not as if you're going to get any kind of off-the-cuff truly off the cuff, genuine response. I, I think that these guys do wander off script ever so slightly, but not enough to where it's ever anything that's that interesting or insightful. With that in mind, though, I did still think it was somewhat interesting. Some of these people are almost completely illiterate. They almost have no ability to get up there and read or articulate the question that they've probably read over 5,000 times or that was written for them 5,000 times. They Mr. President, uh, um, hang on a second. One of them was like, hang on, I forgot. that." One of them tried to go up there and, and do it without reading off the paper. And they obviously couldn't. <laughs> they had to go back and look over the paper where their question was written down. Hang on a second. I, I know there's a big old debate, but I got I to gotta look here because I, I misplaced. Uh, hang on. I'm looking for the right word here. It's all right. The candidates are like, oh, my God, really? These are the people that we're representing? Let's just move to Canada or something. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit obvious that I'm not really a big fan of the town hall style debate. I think we could do away with it or make the changes that I just suggested a few minutes ago. Let's lose all the scripted nature of it. Let's bring in some real people and get this thing really sorted out. Uh, otherwise, let's just have them stand behind lecterns and spew out their talking points for 90 minutes. I don't know. That that would seem to be a lot better than this particular style. Although I did think at one point, I thought they were going to maybe come to blows. Boy, Barack Obama got really mad at one point during this debate. And we'll get into that in just a second. I guess, first of all, spoiler alert, everyone asks, that's the first big question anybody ever gets into, who won the debate? Now, it's a pretty complicated answer. But when you cut through it all, I really do feel that Barack Obama came out a lot more energized than he was in the first debate. Mitt Romney did indeed hold his ground well. He was still very articulate. He didn't seem like he was disinterested or unfocused. But I don't think that he met Barack Obama's energy level. And to really answer who wins the debate, you have to look at the purpose for the debate in the first place. There's two things about these. Number one. The debates serve as a rah-rah fest. They're meant to energize the candidate's base. And how do you do that? You go out there, you show some enthusiasm, you speak well, you do your best to either interject, interrupt, or just flat-out bulldoze the other candidate with the number two point, a lot of haymakers. You throw in these 5, 10, 20, 30-second sound bites. You have the most memorable moments from the debate. You get in your jabs. It doesn't necessarily mean you go out there and you spew the most facts. It's all about getting the most soundbite material crammed into the debate as possible. That's the two primary functions here. One sort of complements the other. 
And with that in mind, I think Barack Obama had more of those moments than Mitt Romney. Yeah, Romney got in a couple of good ones here. Now, toward the, it was in the first of 15, 20 minutes of the debate, they're talking about one of the people gets up there and uh, it was frustrating, but this person gets up there and goes, uh, now, which uh, both of you candidates now, uh, Mr. President, I see that the price of gas has more than double. It's gone up to four dollars a gallon. Uh, and uh, and I'm just wondering what you, you go, what you plan to do about gas. The president of the United States has about as much to do with gas prices as I do. That said, OK, it's a fair question. It's something that comes from the people. It's something that affects people on a daily basis. It affects everything. The price of gas affects not only your ability to drive and travel. It affects the price of all goods and services across the country, across the world. So it's a big question. And I felt that Mitt Romney really dominated this when Barack Obama is talking about how great his energy policies are. Romney comes back with, well, you know, you're really not drilling for oil as much as you could here in the United States. We have all this oil that we're sitting on. We're not using it. But moreover, if your energy policies were so great, then our gas prices wouldn't have gone from $1.86 when you took office to nearly $4 a gallon now. That statement right there is a perfect example of one of these haymakers, one of these memorable moments from a debate. That statement isn't necessarily rooted in fact because the president does not affect the price of gas that much, certainly not enough to more than double it, according to Mitt Romney. But when you hear somebody talking about their energy policy and you can use the price of gas against them, that's one of those haymaker things. That's one of those things people are going to remember. Hey, yeah, you know, the gas was pretty cheap when Obama took office and now up, it's back up to around $4 a gallon. What's up with that? What you have to do to win a debate is you have to use the most basic logic. A, correlate A and B to equal C. A, price of gas was $1.86 when you took office. B, it's now $4. Equals C, your energy policies do not work. It's just this simple sort of almost like transitive logic in a sense. You are equating the president's energy policies with the price of gas, how it's gone up, boom. Not necessarily rooted in fact, once again, but it's something that you do. So certainly on that point, if there's one area where Mitt Romney took the lead early in this debate, that was it. Of course... This probably upset Barack Obama because he had to activate his wonder twin powers with the moderator, Candy Crowley, to form the legendary superhero known as the Obamderator. Yes, the combined efforts of Obama and the moderator, Candy Crowley, took down Mitt Romney later in the game, later in the debate. Uh, this, of course, the exchange that everybody's talking about. You talk about haymakers and soundbite material in a place where... Uh, Mitt Romney, who was already being beaten down by the moderator who at one point told him to sit down. That was great. Well, if that wasn't emasculating enough for Mitt Romney, this moment right here certainly was. They're talking about the Benghazi incident. You knew it was going to come up. Barack Obama doesn't have a whole lot of room to stand on, so he has to seek out the help of the moderator to bail him out. This is the big turning point. This was the part where... Even though I don't think it's rooted in fact, this is the part 
where Barack Obama takes the lead in this debate. Governor, if you want to reply yeah, I, just I should, quickly I to do, this, please. I, do. I, I, I think it's interesting the president just said something, which, which is that on the day after the attack, he went to the Rose Garden and said that this was an act of terror. You said in the Rose Garden, the day after the attack, it was an act of terror. It was not a spontaneous demonstration. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. I, I, I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transcript. It, 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 he did, in, in fact, sir. So let me, let me call it an act of Can terror. Can you say that a little Garden. louder, he Candy? Wow. He, he did call it an act of terror. It did as well take... It did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape uh, to come out. You're correct this, about that. The administration, the administration indicated that this was a, a reaction to a, to a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It took them a long time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group. Now, I could be wrong here, and I only have a degree in communication, which would only mean that I participated in, I don't know, dozens of debates and speeches and these kinds of things. But last I checked, the purpose of a moderator in a debate-style format, whether it's town hall or whatever format you wish to have, the purpose for the moderator is to, A, keep the agenda moving, ask questions, make sure that the time, you know, everybody sort of stays on time and keep things sort of moving along and to keep the candidates from speaking all over each other to sort of allow everybody to have their fair opportunity to present their side of the issue. B, they're supposed to be a neutral. They're supposed to be in the middle. They're supposed to be objective. They're supposed to be somebody that just is there. Obviously, we're human beings. Obviously, we all have our debates. But you're supposed to, if you're going to take on the role of moderator, you're supposed to set aside your agenda and... Just be there, ask the questions, make sure the format keeps moving along. Don't get in the way. You're not supposed to be playing the role of fact checker, especially when the facts that you check, especially when you retort with a fact that is incorrect. And we'll get into that in just a moment. You're supposed to basically, aside from when you're asking a question or trying to get people to move along, you're supposed to just keep your large mouth shut. Maybe that's Candy Crowley's problem in the first place. Maybe the reason she's the size of Mount Everest is because this is a woman that can never keep her mouth shut. Whether it's at the dining room table, whether it's at a debate, whether it's at a buffet, does not matter. This is a woman that needs to keep her mouth shut a lot more often. It would keep her out of trouble. I read so many funny comments on Twitter about somebody says, I didn't know that Adele became a moderator. Come on now. I have to pick on Adele throw Adele under the bus. Adele is a little bit large, but nevertheless. Anybody else find it ironic, though, that her name is Candy and she's, look, she's a, a rather curvy woman. I guess that would be the word. That could be a, a word that we would describe curvy or more like curve. She's a curve woman. Just a, a one continuous curve. Um, no, nevertheless, uh, is it obvious that I have a problem with Candy Crowley? I guess. I think that if you're going to take on the role of moderator, you should be a moderator, not a fact checker. So, of course, later on, after the debate, Candy Crowley says, well, uh, look, uh, I, I was incorrect. I shouldn't have uh, stepped in there. And yeah, 
Barack Obama didn't call it an act of terror right away. Uh, I guess I was sort of wrong about that. Yeah, you say that after the debate, after the barn door is open. That's fine. It's like the retraction. The paper prints a story. They get it wrong. And then they print the retraction on page F372. It's all the way in the back. And it's in tiny little four-point type. By the way, uh, that part where we called this guy a child molester, uh, he's not really a child molester. Um, We got that wrong. Nobody sees that, of course. Nobody ever sees or hears of the retraction. You only hear about the initial statement. So Candy Crowley, nice job moderating the debate. Nice job screwing up. And of course, the fact that she checked, let's just make sure we get this for the record. So after our embassy was attacked in Libya and four people were killed, including our ambassador, The day after, Barack Obama is giving a speech in the Rose Garden. He gives an 11-paragraph speech. In the ninth paragraph, he does mention the words acts of terror. But it is in context to, it's a general context. It is not referring specifically to Benghazi. It is not referring to the Middle East. It's not referring to any specific event at all. It is that just saying the United States does not tolerate any acts of terror, blah, blah, blah. And it is the only time in that speech that even the word, that the word terror is even mentioned. And for the subsequent couple of weeks that went by, all that you heard from the White House, all that you heard from the president, anything that came out of the administration, the cabinet, whatever, uh, even Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, the only thing that you heard was, oh, it's this videotape that somebody released on YouTube and uh, that's really why these people got outraged and that's why and of course we have to remember uh, also they would just sit there and say well uh, there was a lot of protesting going on this was a random act we don't really know everything about it but as far as we know it was a random act uh, or it was an act by protesters uh, who were upset about the about the tape neither was true There weren't any protests going on at our Libyan embassy at all. Those were all in Cairo. Uh, The the other, uh, the random act thing, there wasn't any random acts going on over there. Yeah, Libya is an unstable place. But this, our State Department now says, well, there was a, a concerted effort, a terror plot that was brewing well in advance of the attack. Uh, We may have had an inkling that this was going to happen. Yeah, whoops. And then when it did happen, we knew right away that it was a terror attack. So either the president was lying then, is lying now, or is out of the loop somehow. Nobody keyed him in, which I find completely impossible to believe. It's possible that when he got his intelligence briefing, maybe they said, hey, look, we're not 100% sure. But we're thinking this is de- this is uh, an act of a terrorist, even though the State Department says they knew right away. So I can't imagine that they didn't brief the president to this fact right away. Nevertheless, the president knew very soon thereafter. It did not take him two weeks to find out and then say, oh, hey, by the way, this was a terrorist attack. When this happened, I came on the air and called it a terrorist attack before the president did. Now, how is that possible? How is it that I come on the air and call the the attack on our Libyan embassy a terrorist attack before the president does? I knew. Anybody knew. This isn't just, 
Oh, Michael Groff's got the inside information. This is anybody with a brain with eyes or with ears or with any one of their senses, even ESP, any sense working whatsoever. Helen Keller would have figured this out before Barack Obama. So this was ridiculous. So for a moderator in a debate to come out and go, well, actually, uh, Governor Romney, uh, actually, he did. He did. We should play that again. The most ridiculous thing I have heard in a debate ever. I I, I want to make sure we get that for the record, because it took the president 14 days before he called the attack in Benghazi an act of terror. Get the transcript. He did, in in fact, sir. So let me let me call it an act of terror. Can you say that a little louder, Candy? He did. I'll tell you what. An act of terror. It did as well. Anybody that thinks that the media is not liberally biased. Let me just submit this. This would be People's Exhibit 31,654. This just certifies once again how the media is in the tank for liberals. It's in the tank for Barack Obama. And look, there's no question. I, I am not voting for Barack Obama. I am not voting for Mitt Romney. I would not vote for either one of these candidates. But let's call a spade a spade. If you think for a second that the vast majority of media isn't liberal biased and they don't take that opportunity to let it shine through, even in cases where it should never come through and it should never come through in news and it should never come through as a moderator in a debate. If you don't think that there's just not example after example, how much evidence do you need? This is just another in a long string of examples. It's ridiculous. It did as well uh, take uh, two weeks or so uh, for the whole idea of there being a riot out there about this tape. What does that even mean? She she says she fact checks Governor Romney and then she tries to backpedal and she says something that is completely inarticulate. We don't even know what she's talking about. But again, you get these news people away from a teleprompter and just like the president without a teleprompter, it's a disaster. It really well. Uh, they uh, it did it did also uh, uh, take with the tape uh, and the football. Uh, I you know uh, I, I Pepsi. What to come out? You're correct this, about that. The administration the administration indicated that this was a a reaction to a to a video and was a spontaneous reaction. It took them a they long did. time to say this was a terrorist act by a terrorist group. Yeah. Okay. By the way, you know who was leading the applause in there? You know, the person that was uh, among the loudest was Michelle Obama. She's in there. Go, yeah, she led. She was the first person and the last person to stop clapping. Give me a breath. And I know that's that's the president's wife and that's she's got to do that and be all rah, rah for the president. But I, I got to believe if I was married to somebody that was up there just spewing nonsense president obama i mean i would probably feel like kind of dirty don't don't you think i mean does she actually believe it does does anybody really believe what the president said in that debate look i know that it came across great because you had the moderator on his side and i know what the crowd thinks the crowd goes and the the general voting public they look at something like that and they go huh well if the moderator says so too 
And it, it kind of looks like Mitt Romney got owned. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe his credibility isn't that great. And, you know, if, if he's wrong about this, wonder what else he's wrong about. Huh. That's the purpose for these debates. And that's what happens. That's why that right there is probably the big turning point in that debate. And there were other examples of it, too. And again, Mitt Romney got his jabs in. But really, that, that folks, that was where this debate was one for Barack Obama. Let's just put it all onto the table. We know that these debates are not about the truth. They're not about getting all the facts out. It's not necessarily. There's a lot of stuff that's rooted in some semblance of truth. There's grains of truth in what both candidates have to say. But generally speaking, well, <laughs> generally speaking, we know these debates are about presentation, they're about how to speak and articulate yourself in a way that drives to the American people, getting it in there as quick as possible. Like I said, make simple, logical statements. A plus B equals C. A leads to B, B leads to C. Transitive logic. A to B, B to C, boom, boom, boom. And do it quick. If you do it quick, it'll resonate with the American people. If you take too long, even if you present things factually, even if you actually have a plan, if you have something that you want to lay out to the people, don't do that. You know, get up there and make those simple statements. Kind of like that episode of Family Guy. Lois is running for mayor of, of Quahog and she's trying to lay out like a 12-point plan for how to fix a city and people are just, they'd start booing and they get all confused. And uh, Brian says to her, well, you have to, the voting public are a bunch of idiots. You have to just make very simple statements. So she gets up there and goes, 9-11 is bad. And then people just start applauding. And she's like, well, because that's what Jesus would do. And then everybody applauds more. You know, it's that kind of stuff. I hate to say that about the general voting public and about the populace as a whole, but let's face it. Most people don't have the time to sit down and research. Most people don't have the time to parse every single statement that every candidate says and get it all down and figure it all out. That's really how we wound up with Barack Obama in the first place. He did just that. 9-11 is bad. He got up there and said, hey, uh, I'm going to bring change. Hope and change. The economy's bad right now. I want to change it. Nobody really bothered to go, well, how are you going to do that? How exactly are you going to turn things around? Had somebody actually bothered to ask that question in a public forum, had the media really tried to press him on that, he would have never won. He would have never become president of the United States because, as you can see by the results of four years of Barack Obama and those policies, well, you can see where that's gotten us. You, you can see the point of asking a very simple question. Well, how are you going to fix things? Oh, I got it. You're going to spend even more money than ever before. That's how you're going to get us out of this mess. I know you're going to spend us out of debt. Okay. That, that makes sense. That's worked out well for us in the past. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Well, that was the debate. There's other highlights I could certainly go through. Oh, I do want to say this. this the funny part of this debate, too, was you have to take the, the opponent and make them look like the worst person in the world. And you have to make them look like they're scary, look like they're 
a danger. <laughs> you know, you have to do whatever you can to demonize your opponent. So one of these guys, they were talking about George W. Bush, I think, and how you'll be different from George W. Bush, I guess was the question. Mitt Romney says, you know, he has all these different things, ways that he's different from George W. Bush. And all of a sudden, Barack Obama gets up there, pays uh, several backhanded compliments sort of to George W. Bush. I thought this was the most bizarre part of the debate. He gets up there and goes, well, uh, George Bush didn't want to get rid of Planned Parenthood, but Mitt Romney does. George Bush uh, didn't want to, you know, cut taxes to the extent that uh, that Mitt Romney does. He's paying all these you know, sort of backhanded compliments to that the fact that the Bush administration, uh, by comparison to Mitt Romney, is okay, making Mitt Romney seem even worse than George Bush. And then at the same time, he argues about how Mitt Romney put forth socialized health care in his home state, how he doesn't have these, uh, these conservative values or these conservative plans that he said he does. It's a very hypocritical thing. At one point, he's attacking Mitt Romney for his record. And then at another time, he's using his record as a sort of liberal Republican as a means to tell us how he's not really George Bush and how he's not really uh, going to make any sort of headway. And it was just a nightmare. I couldn't believe that part. And look, Mitt Romney's full of crap also. He says he has a five-point plan for how he's going to fix things. I still have yet to hear that five-point plan. Yeah, he talks about, oh, I, I, want to, I want to cut rates across the board, cut tax rates across the board, and reduce deductions. He never really says exactly which deductions. He sort of says, well, uh, deductions here and there. He, one of these people even got up there and was asking, um, I, I have uh, these deductions, and, um, but I want to know if you're going to uh, cut the, the, the deduction for uh, the credit for going to college because I, I go, I, I have kids that is going to college. He can't really answer. He doesn't know. These guys, they say they have a plan, just like Barack Obama says he has a plan. But we don't really know what that is. What's your plan? Because so far, what we've been seeing is we've been seeing unemployment still through the roof. We have more people now on food stamps than ever before. We have more people out of work, out of the labor force than ever before. That's not unemployment. Unemployment is different. What happens is you're unemployed. You stay unemployed long enough and you drop out of the labor force. You drop off the unemployment statistics, but you are still considered out of work. You're not part of the labor force, but that's a separate statistic. Again, there's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics. Yes, the unemployment number is actually going down. I believe it's 7.9% right now. It's right below 8%. But the real number of Americans that are unemployed is a lot higher than that. It's really up toward 12%. A lot of people have been unemployed for so long that they fall off the, un the, the, the uh, unemployment dole. They fall off of the unemployment payments and they can, they're considered... Um, you know, out of uh, out of the labor force, but they're not considered part of the unemployment statistic anymore. It's very it's very complicated. See, how I would do it is if you don't have a job, you're unemployed. If you're self-employed, you're employed. If you have a job like a, a corporate job or whatever, you're an independent contractor, you're employed. If 
you do not have a job of some sort if you do not have work that you do, whether it's self, corporate, whatever, you're unemployed. Not if not it's not it shouldn't be set up like, oh, well, you haven't been working for three years, so you're no longer part of the unemployment statistic. No, if you're not working you're considered part of the unemployment statistic. See, that's how I would do it. Now, of course, it would freak people out because the number would be double digits, especially right now. The number would be well into the double digits. It would be 12, 12.5, maybe even 13%. More people are out of the labor force now than ever before in the history of the United States. That is a scary fact. Barack Obama has something to do with it. Never mind even if he has something to do with it or not, because he does. But the fact is, he was a president that came in, promised to cut the deficit in half. He did not. He promised to take unemployment down. He has not. Unemployment is higher than when he came into office. People can say, well, there's these jobs that have been growing. We've We've gained, uh, we've been gaining jobs every month for the last uh, 41 consecutive months. That's fine. But does that equal the number of people that have been dropping out of the labor force? No. Not only that, but on a related note, a lot of the jobs that are being created, this sudden drop in unemployment, let's not get too excited about it anyway. Even if it weren't for just the people dropping off the labor force, some of the new jobs that are being created are part-time jobs. In fact, in the month of September, according to the Labor Department statistics, in the month of September, more than half of the newly created jobs are part-time jobs. So if this is the job market that the Obama administration is touting, the part-time job market, let's not get too excited. So, hey, uh, you know, we're adding some jobs back, but they're mainly part-time jobs. They're, you know, the minimum wage, part-time jobs. That's really going to get it done. We're going to get you just enough money to probably get you off the public dole or to get you uh, only unlimited assistance. So you'll have even less money than ever and fewer options than ever. Uh, but, hey, at least you'll have Obamacare, which, you know, you'll be making maybe just enough money to pay the taxes to support. Maybe not. Who knows? The good news is you'll have a job. It's part time. Uh, it probably will go away or it'll have a high turnover, um, you know. Oh, and let's not forget that the holiday season is coming up. And with that, we have a lot of temporary jobs that come about. So, of course, the unemployment number is probably going to drop even more because people will have more part time temporary employment until January when that goes away and then boom, the unemployment shoots back up once again. People will have just enough work so that they can get a few bucks for the holidays so they can drop off the unemployment roster for a while. They'll have their temporary employment. This is the great Obama jobs policy. We'll get you on the temporary job rosters. We'll get you get some temporary employment for the holidays. We'll get you some part-time work. And then once that goes away, you'll be back on unemployment. But hey, that's working out well for us. That's what's going to really drive this economy. Is that what the Obama administration is saying when they tout these job statistics? They're going to sit there and say, well, we've got a plan. We're, we're creating jobs. We're creating part-time jobs because, as we all know, part-time jobs definitely drive the economy. They certainly drive a struggling economy. And they give us a lot of hope for the future. Change you can believe in. That's for sure. 
But until people start voting for real change, and that is different stuff from the same two corporate parties that you have now, the Democrats and Republican corporations, this is the kind of stuff you're going to get. Until you stop voting, at least for people, even if you vote for people within those parties, if you start voting for people that have a different mindset, whose ideas are not just the same old, well, we got to spend ourselves out of debt. Oh, man, they got rags on their heads. We got to go over there and, and have a war with them. You know, until you stop with that mindset, until you start voting for people that don't think like that, this is the kind of stuff you're going to get. Bad job markets. Oh, but we're creating jobs. They're all temporary jobs. Until you start voting for something different, this is the result that you're going to get. There are other things I want to get into here, but as I look down, I see that I've been talking for over 40 minutes. So once again, the first segment of the podcast could very well be its own podcast. So I really, I always sit here, I have a plan for the show and I sort of have an outline in my head of how I want things to go. And I, I had a few notes on the debate and there was some, certainly some things I wanted to get out there. I had no idea that it was going to go on for 40 or 50 minutes. And that's exactly what I did. That's exactly how all of these post-debate podcasts and the breakdown of all that goes. Uh, I don't know. It just always seems to work out that way. All right, coming up, the debate that you have to watch, but it is not the next presidential debate. I mean, sure, I recommend you watch that. Once again, it is the metaphoric car crash. But no, the debate that I actually want you to watch, we'll talk about that coming up. Plus, politics do make for strange bedfellows. You'll never guess who I pay a compliment to coming up. Somebody that I would never have otherwise been in league with, but, eh, you know, these presidential elections do make for strange allies. I'll say that. Also, uh, well, you know, it's that time of year again. Guess which festival or holiday or celebration is being banned in another school across this country. Yeah, well, just look at the calendar. Look at what's coming up, and that'll answer that. We'll talk about it. The Michael Graff Show Stupid News File. Now, I don't know if I would call this stupid news. I mean, this is kind of serious, but it's stupid at the same time. Not all perverse crimes are created equal. Coming up, a person that is not going to face any jail time despite having child porn and having engaged in very uh, strange sexual acts, including that of an animal. I'll give this person this much. The animal that they had sex with, uh, and again, we classified it as an animal, uh, is something I have never heard before. We dare to endeavor on this program. We give you stuff that no one else is going to give you. Plus, there's an analyst that says Google will disappear in the next six to eight years. Probably that's the same idiot that predicted that the Google stock would never take off and that it's a bad investment. Oh, wait, that was me. All right, so somebody that's an idiot about investments. That's not me predicting that Google will disappear in the next six to eight years. That and much more. It's all coming up. Mike at KMGX.com. Our email address, Michael Groff on Twitter. Michael Groff Show on AOL Instant Messenger. Groff Show on Google Talk and so much more. There's uh, just a million ways. Oh, and of course, the one and only MichaelGroff.com. I highly encourage you to get in touch with this program. It's the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. And I don't need to see anymore. The zip code famous Michael Groff Show. MichaelGroff.com. Sweeney 
back with segment number two. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Friday, October 19th, 2012. Bleeding over into Saturday, actually. And if we're doing a Madonna bumper on the show, if you know this program well enough, you know that Madonna must have done something stupid. And yes, yes, she did. Apparently, Madonna was giving a concert in Denver at the Pepsi Center on Thursday night. And aside from starting the show three hours late, fans were offended after she opened the show with a portrayal of guns and violence where she pretended to shoot a bunch of people in the first row of the theater. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal? Except for the fact that it was in Denver, Colorado, just three months after James Holmes was at the Batman showing at that theater and opened fire and killed 14 people. You might remember that story. I know people do tend to have short memories, but evidently a lot of people were offended. People took to social media, in fact, and one person writes, quote, Really, Madonna? Keep people waiting for three hours, then open with guns and pretend to shoot people in the front of the theater? And that's art? Another person wrote on Twitter, quote, Madonna, three hours late for Pepsi Center concert with no apology, then proceeds with bang, bang in city plagued with gun violence, end of quote. Someone else says... I was shaken by what I saw. People in the audience were shaken as well. That was uh, said by Peter Burns. Now, he's a friend of Jessica Gowie, who died in the theater shooting in July. Quote, I turned to my girlfriend and said, I don't feel comfortable with this. Burns said that he saw some people get up and leave. And that is just... It's crazy. Now... If you think that's bad, Madonna did release a statement, though. And she says this. It's a long, long statement. In fact, it it reads more like a manifesto. I think Madonna's just gone full out crazy at this point. Ever since she had that kid, about ever since, I'm going to say it turned crazy for her in about 1991 or 92. That's pretty much when the music went south for her also. She tried to reinvent herself. Well, she did really reinvent herself. She did keep uh, pace with the direction the music was going. I will say she's a good artist in terms of uh, being able to construct music and, and keep pace with the trend in the music biz. She's had uh, hits in like four decades now, I believe. As far as that goes, she's certainly accomplished. But when it comes to just being plain crazy... Uh, being pretentious, developing that fake British accent and everything else that goes along in the territory of being crazy. Madonna's got that in spades. She writes a long statement. I will not read the entire statement, but here's part of what she writes regarding the incident. Quote, I do not condone violence or the use of guns. Rather, they are symbols of wanting to appear strong and wanting to find a way to stop feelings that I find hurtful and damaging. In my case, it's wanting to stop the lies and hypocrisy of the church, the intolerance of many narrow-minded cultures and societies I have experienced throughout my life, and in some cases, the pain I have felt from having my heart broken. 
the entire statement just goes on and on. It's it's just a rambling bunch of nonsense that only Madonna could possibly explain. But she says, hey, this is art. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Really, it wasn't an apology. It was just more like, hey, hey, man, I didn't really mean to offend anybody. I'm using guns, whatever. Now, I know there's probably a lot of people in the audience that would expect me to come out and say, big deal, get over it. But I can understand why if you went to a Madonna concert in Colorado and she opens up with a faux hail of gunfire or whatever the portrayal was that offended so many people, especially after making people wait three hours. That that in and of itself is balls. I have never been to a concert where I've had to wait that long. Every once in a while, it's a little late, 15 minutes at the most. But three hours, I would have gotten up and left. I don't care how much I paid for the damn concert. Gonna make me wait? And then I'd want my money back. And I think that's what happened here too. Some people did demand their money back after this concert. People got up, they left. People that stuck around saw the show. Some people said it was a mediocre show anyway. Regardless, look, Madonna's crazy. This is nothing new. <laughs> nothing to see here, folks. Why am I even spending so much time on Madonna? I don't know. She's somehow still a part of the culture. Though. She's talking about the church. Isn't she like Jewish or something? Or I don't know what she is now. She's into the Kabbalah. I don't know what she's into. I keep trying to follow it. I can't keep up with Madonna. Most people can't. I stopped listening to Madonna's music on a regular basis. I, I stopped thinking that she uh, had anything going musically uh, sometime in the 90s. I don't know. Something like that. I've, I've respect for her as a musician, I suppose. But yeah, I could see why people would be upset by that. So if you thought I was going to come on and say people need to get over it. Nah, not really. It wouldn't bother me. But then I wasn't somebody that lost a friend or family member or whatever in the Colorado shooting. So who am I to tell you? Now, shifting gears ever so slightly, I do want to bring your attention to a must watch event. It's a uh, big thing coming up. A lot of you don't know about it, but this is happening on Tuesday night. No, it's not the start of the World Series, although that is also happening Tuesday night. But if I could just divert your attention from the World Series, which will probably suck anyway, to something a little bit more important, at least in my mind, and that is the third party debate. Yes, uh, the presidential debate is on Monday night, but the third party debate between the candidates that I care about and that most of you should care about, the non-corporate, the not bought and paid for candidates. That debate occurs on Tuesday night. And, uh, of course, Gary Johnson, Libertarian candidate, will be there, along with the Green Party's Jill Stein, Constitution Party's Virgil Good, and the Justice Party's Rocky Anderson. They will all be participating in a debate. And, uh, yes, the other voices, the other candidates... They'll be up there debating. And guess who the moderator for this debate is? Larry King. I wondered what the hell happened to Larry King. I guess he has a show that's online now. I didn't even know. I thought that Larry King, literally, he left TV. He just went off and counted his money and retired, never to be heard from again. And maybe wrote that horrible column that he had. But Larry King is going to moderate this debate. And the debate is uh, taking place on, well, you can see it on several different websites I guess um, one of the places is on rt.tv, which is a Russian website. That is Russian television or, or, yeah, it's a Russian website. 
Also, and I can't believe I'm going to tell you this. Uh, this is unbelievable. I'm not even doing shtick. This is not a bit. It's also going to be on Al Jazeera English TV. The Al Jazeera, the American Al Jazeera network is carrying the third party debate on Tuesday night. Yeah, that's right. Al Jazeera, the English version of Al Jazeera. I don't know how many people have that. I don't even know where you'd get it. I think it's on Dish Network. I seem to remember many years ago when I had Dish. I think it's on there. Um, along with BBC America and all that kind of weird stuff. But um, yeah, uh, politics really does make for strange bedfellows because after all the years I have ripped Al Jazeera for just being a, a puppet to the Arab state and just doing nothing but propagandizing all of the uh, Arab news and all of that kind of garbage. Um, I'm actually impressed. Al Jazeera is carrying the third party debate. So if you have that or you can just tune into or, or go to, I should say, uh, rt.tv to catch the third party debate. Again, uh, Larry King is going to moderate it. Now, what I want to really call your attention to, I just gave you all the info on it, but I see, I, I was very curious while doing prep for the podcast, how this debate was being covered in the media. First of all, you have to go and find it with a, uh, with tweezers and a flashlight just to see if you can even get any media coverage from the mainstream media about the third party debate. But I did manage to find some places that were talking about it. The LA Times has, a, has an article about it and they have all the facts and where you can tune into it. I even see that in their article, they note that Tom Hartman, the liberal talk show host and a guy that's all over the net, he's uh, on like free speech TV and all these other places. Liberal Tom Hartman is going to be there, I think, asking some questions or whatever. But that's fine. I don't care. Tom Hartman, at least at least he's open minded enough to go to the debate. Good for him. So I'll even pay a compliment to Tom Hartman for once. Good. We're definitely on opposite sides in a lot of cases or or I don't even know if, if I'd call it opposite, but just we differ in opinion on many things. But Hey, if he's going to be there to cover it, great. Maybe he'll talk about it on his show. It calls more attention to it. Fine, whatever. I mean, we know he's in the tank for Obama, but that's fine. At least he'll be there. So, great. All right, the LA Times did a nice write-up, and a few other places I saw did some uh, write-ups about the third-party debate. And I thought, hey, that's great. At least a little bit, at least a few places in what you would consider relatively mainstream media covered the third-party debate. Then I saw an article on CBSnews.com. I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's big. All right, CBS. Now one of the big alphabet networks has uh, got an article about it. Wonderful. I just want to read to you this article as it appears on CBSnews.com, and you tell me what you think of it. This is some kind of coverage right here. Larry King, the celebrated talk show host accustomed to A-list interview guests, has agreed to moderate a debate featuring a squad of minor party presidential candidates. The former CNN giant will guide next Tuesday's debate in Chicago, which will be broadcast on the Internet. The candidates taking part are Libertarian Party's Gary Johnson, the Green Party's Jill Stein, the Constitution Party's Virgil Goode, and the Justice Party's Rocky Anderson. King told the Associated Press it's clear none of them will win the election, but said they still deserve a voice in the presidential race. Democrats and Republicans are keeping tabs on Johnson and Good, two ex-Republicans who could be factors in key battleground states. Quote, they have a story to tell. It's a valid story, King said. It's a two-party system, but not a two-party system by law. 
King left CNN in 2010 and now hosts a show on Aura.tv, an on-demand internet channel. The debate was organized by the Free and Equal Elections Foundation, which has criticized the debates between Democratic President Barack Obama and Republican challenger Mitt Romney for excluding third-party candidates and coming off as too programmed. Organizers say at-home viewers will be encouraged to submit real-time questions to social media websites such as Twitter, where they'll get King's attention with the Ask Him This Larry hashtag. Yeah, so there it is, folks. That is the, uh, the article as it appears on CBSNews.com, verbatim. What a piece of journalistic crap. I have never read a more condescending piece that is just, again, another insult to third-party candidates everywhere. I'm surprised. Why even bother to write the article if that's what you're going to put up there? Uh, a squad of minor party candidates. First of all, they insult Larry King in here. They say, well, Larry King, uh, used to A-list celebrity guests, will now be interviewing a squad of minor party candidates. Minor party. Okay. Then they tell you that this is going to be broadcast on the internet. They don't tell you when. They don't tell you where. What the hell happened to the five W's and H in journalism? Who, what, where, when, why, how? Whatever happened to, all right, the who? Uh, Larry King, moderator of the uh, third party debate. When? October 23rd. That's not included. Where? Well, they say it's in Chicago, but they don't tell you where you can tune in to find it. They just say it's on the internet. Got news for you. The internet is a pretty big place. A lot of different websites out there. What is there, uh, like 80 billion websites or some insane number of websites? Yeah, they don't tell you exactly where to tune into that. Uh, why? I don't know. How? How do you tune in? How? Well, they don't really tell you. Again, they just say, hey, it's on the internet. Oh, boy. That's some great journalism by the folks over there at CBS. Uh, the, King knows that they won't, none of them will win. Why even include that in there? Why bother if you're just going to insult third party candidates and third parties in general? Why bother? Nice job, CBS. Thank you for that. That was unnecessary. So I, uh, of course, I always like to see how different media outlets cover different events. And that should just tell you how the mainstream media, the few pieces of mainstream media that actually are covering the event. By the way, I looked on NBC. I looked over at ABC. I, I skimmed through Fox News. I, I just, after reading that CBS thing, I, I, I didn't really have the energy. I started with ABC. I went to NBC. I saw CBS. Then I didn't even have the energy to go to Fox News and see how they're covering it. But I'm going to just go ahead and guess, and I could be wrong on this, so I'm just willing to admit that right up front. I'm willing to guess that Fox News has a similar tact to CBS News on this. Oh, it's the third party. Ah, ha, ha. Joke, joke, joke. Jab, jab, jab. That's how they cover these kinds of things. Nice. Way to go, guys. You do realize that about 30, what is it? Uh, last I checked, it was about 35% of the United States considers themselves conservative. About 25% consider themselves liberal. And there's a lot of those people that are in the middle that have registered themselves as independent, meaning they're not beholden to any one specific party. They're just waiting for someone to come along and be a better alternative to what we have out there now. And one of these days, these folks in the mainstream media are going to have to come to grips with the fact that the third party candidate is the better choice.
is the more obvious choice, is the choice that people are going to be making in the future. It starts at the local level. It works its way up. Look, Ross Perot officially got 19% of the vote back in 1992. He would have had a lot higher percentage had he not dropped out once or twice and then come back. But he was one of those guys that was uh, on the brink of capturing uh, the White House. Believe it or not, crazy-ass Ross Perot. Crazy-ass Ross Perot, who was proven to be correct, who was vindicated later on when he said the giant sucking sound that's coming from the South with this NAFTA deal. He was absolutely right about that. Any of these free trade agreements that the United States participated in via the Republicans and Democrats, Ross Perot was totally right about that. So you see these third-party candidates that everybody dismisses and laughs about, ah uh-huh, CBS News, oh, boy, oh, boy, yeah, oh, my, a squad, uh, a gaggle, a pack of minor party candidates. Oh, you guys are so in the tank. You guys, you liberal media, you're so in the tank for, for Obama. You know, I, I'm just, I'm going to love it. I'm going to love it when a third party comes in there and you're going to have to actually report on them. One of these days, uh, third party, and I don't even mean that they win, but they get enough percentage of the vote. And that's really what we're after here. Getting a high enough percentage of the vote so that they qualify for federal election campaign funding and that they'll have to be included in your presidential debates eventually. That's what's going to happen. They're going to have to be included. They're going to get enough money to where they're going to be running ads, uh, maybe not as frequently, but to the to enough of an extent to where they'll be on TV, people are going to start to notice them, and you're going to have to include them in your mainstream media love fest. Oh, we just love the Republicans. We just love the Democrats. Eventually, there is going to be somebody that comes in and rains on your poor little corporate parade. Oh, your little corporate party. Oh, the corporate Democrats and your corporate Republicans. There is going to be a third-party candidate that comes along and just takes you guys by the balls And finally destroys this little illusion that the mainstream media loves to have, that there's only two parties in this country. Well, guess what? There's more. I'll be checking it out on, uh, I don't have Al Jazeera. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. But I will tune in. I'm going to go to RT.TV on uh, Tuesday night, and I'm going to watch. And I will talk about it on this show. Uh, This is one place where, where anybody, any viewpoint, whether it's liberal, conservative, in the middle, Uh, whatever, socialist, communist, fascist, libertarian, Justice Party. I don't even know much about the Justice Party. I'll just freely admit. Constitution, Green Party, whatever viewpoint you have, I'm going to listen to it. I may not agree with it. I may rip it apart. I may sit back and just cautiously ponder it over. I don't know. Muse about whatever it is that you have to say, but I'm going to listen. I will talk about it. This is one outlet where you will have a voice. Unlike CBS News, the Tiffany Network. How are things, CBS? What, you guys hired Katie Couric. How'd that work out? Yeah, that didn't go so well. And uh, I think in the network nightly news, aren't they last? They're, they are still third place, aren't they? ABC and, uh, and NBC are kicking their ass. I don't even know who's on NBC or uh, ABC anymore. Is Brian Williams back on there? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you who's on NBC. I couldn't tell you who's on ABC. I used to know it was Sam Donaldson, not Sam Donaldson, uh, uh, Peter Jennings. Peter Jennings was on there and then he died about uh, six, seven years ago of cancer. Ever since, I know ABC has struggled. All the nightly network news shows have uh, struggled mightily. 
CBS thought, hey, we're going to bring in Katie Couric. She's a woman. People will connect with that. Everyone loves Katie. No, they don't. People tuned away from Katie. Her raspy voice just drove people away. Remember she wrote that blog too? Hey, this is my little corner of the internet. And I just want everybody to stop by and say hi. A blog that was full of cliches. How long did that last? I wonder if that's still there. I haven't even looked in like three years to see if that blog is still there. The Katie Couric blog. She had to leave the Today Show. She had to leave. She had to go to CBS and make a big impact. And she got a big payday out of them. CBS News. Way to go, guys. Way to really show your journalistic integrity. Nice job. Does anyone remember when delivering the news was about the news? It was about the objectiveness. It was about the who, what, where, when, why, how. It was all about just getting the stories to the American people. It wasn't about just being a gatekeeper to the news. It was all about just telling you what's happening. There wasn't necessarily a profit motive behind it. It was just delivering information to the people. It was about uncovering scandals. It was about being a watchdog. It was about telling you what's happening in the world. Now, now the news is all about what is popular to people. It's all about what people are interested in. It's all about celebrity gossip. It's all about yellow journalism. And then it's, it's I don't know. I'm just, I'm perplexed. I'm baffled. And I, I shouldn't even be surprised by this, but for some reason I'm saddened by it. And I think you should be too. I think people should be outraged at how the media covers a lot of events. And I think it shows because, let's face it, a lot of people are using social media. They're going to blog sites. The blogosphere has become huge. They're going to alternative sources of media more and more all the time. They're ditching the alphabet networks. They're ditching the major news outlets because they don't deliver what the people really want. And the people really want a lot of different information. They want more international news. They want more news about um, about uh, politics that's delivered from a, a wider scope than what they're getting. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people that want celebrity crap too. And that's why shows like TMZ and uh, Entertainment Tonight and Hard Copy and all these other shows have popped up in the last 20 years. You know, uh, uh, half of those shows don't even exist anymore, but uh, Inside Edition, uh, what's another one of those uh, news magazine shows? Remember the show A Current Affair? Wasn't that one of the ones that started all this stuff? A Current Affair. That was a good one, actually. <laughs> oh, I don't know. But, you know, people, yeah, there's a lot of people that do want celebrity crap. But most people, most people, they want a lot of information. And you either adapt to that or you die. And the network news, major network news, CBS Evening News, ABC, NBC, they are suffering badly, not just because of cable news, but because of all these other outlets that exist now. The newspaper business is suffering the same way. Well, that and the fact that it's just an old school delivery system, it's 12-hour old news, 24-hour old news by the time you get it into your hand and then you're sitting there reading it, you're getting newsprint all over you. So that's another reason why newspapers are dying out. But even if it weren't for that, if you look at even newspaper websites um, that are run, you know, even latimes.com and all these other places, unless you're keeping up with what the people want and unless you're keeping up not only with what people want, but if you're not delivering all types of different news, you're dead. You're doomed, man. 
People want it instantaneously. They want what they want. They want all sorts of uh, a, a wide scope of news, not just some finite little bit. I don't know. Whatever. It's hard. It's hard to keep up. I get it. But that just really infuriated me. I don't know why it does. I should just not be surprised. But here I am. All right. From that, we have another bizarre story. This is bizarre because I I just, I can't fathom this. But here it is. An analyst says that Google may completely disappear within the next five to eight years. Uh, In the wake of a surprisingly weak earnings report, Eric Jackson who is the Iron Fire Capital founder and managing member, said that Google could easily find itself fending off the woes that eventually took hold of uh, embattled Yahoo several years ago. And in fact, quote, they could disappear in five to eight years and disappear in the sense that Yahoo used to be the number one search. Now, for all intents and purposes, Yahoo has disappeared, Jackson. He told CNBC's Squawk on the street. The primary reason Google may lose its dominance in the search engine biz uh, is the company is facing uh, the same mobile problems as Facebook, Jackson said. So they're saying that uh, a lot of these companies now, the, the advertising revenue, the CPC, the cost per click, is going down because more and more people are using mobile devices to access Facebook and Google. And as a result, there are fewer ads that are delivered via their their mobile sites. And advertisers aren't necessarily as willing to invest into mobile sites. And that's why Google could certainly face a major downtrend. He doesn't say that the, the site isn't going to be there anymore, but he does say that um, it could be just as uh, valuable as Yahoo's. For, for example, let me just so I, I looked this up. So right now, the, let's see, the Google stock is trading at, this is almost painful because I used to say that there's no way that anyone should ever invest in Google. It opened at $85 a share. Okay, right now, Google is at $681.79 a share. Yahoo is at $15.84 a share. So he's saying that, look, Google could easily decline to where Yahoo is. I don't think that'll ever happen. But it's it's not going to be valued at six or $700 a share forever. That's for sure. But uh, he says, look, it's going to take a major dump because advertisers are going to be less willing to invest. Something as valuable as Google, though, something that is as big as Google and Facebook, I just don't see that disappearing. I know I have said it before, and, and it's... I know it's happened to other places before. Look, MySpace and Yahoo, they, they got pushed out of the way. And something could, sure, I, I guess something could come along and beat out Google or Facebook. It happens on the internet. These are Somebody could come along and do something that's more revolutionary. I, I know for a fact it could happen. But the brand recognition that Google has, the just the way that it's been intertwined into the culture, it is a ubiquitous part of society now. Google it. Just like Facebook and Twitter and all these other things. I mean, once you get that much of a hold on it, it's very hard to fathom that you can't make just an insane profit with that. See, I don't think Google will ever go as far down. Even if it does go down, I just do not see it going down to the level of a Yahoo. 
And Yahoo is still big, by the way. There's still millions and millions of people that use Yahoo on a daily basis. Yahoo is branched out, too. I mean, they're into, they have uh, Yahoo Sports Radio. They have, um, they have a, a whole, like, sports network. They have uh, news. They have all this different stuff. And Google has a lot of that as well. And I know Yahoo has been in the social media and the chat rooms and the games and all that kind of stuff and the music uh, longer than Google has. But Google is doing it now, too. They've got their, um, they've got their uh, what is that, uh, Google Plus and uh, I, listen, I know there's a lot of these different things out there, but Google, I just don't see them ever declining to the point, and I use the word loosely, declining to the point that Yahoo has, or they're not going to be on that level, I don't think. But this guy says, hey, look out. Uh, word to the wise investor, I guess. And in the, well, we have a public schools update. So here you go. It's that time of the year again, folks. We're getting to the holiday season. You know, uh, the, the last uh, two and a half months of the year, certainly considered the holiday time of the year, the major events that come along. And so get ready for a barrage of these kinds of stories. We get them every single year. And once again, here we go. A Seattle school has banned students from celebrating Halloween. Yep. Lafayette Elementary School has decided to not allow students to dress up in costumes for Halloween this year. And there is still some discrepancy between parents and administration as to why the ban was implemented this fall. The decision uh, was first reported on the districts uh, by the district, the Seattle Public School District, as being a premature measure in the event that Halloween costumes could offend and upset students. And uh, parents that belong to different cultures. Dozens of parents, of course, have complained to the school over the measure. Um, and they're, they're looking for a more detailed explanation. Now, Lafayette's principal, Shauna, what's her name? Shauna Heath, has emailed various media outlets arguing that the decision was made because of the limited instructional time that uh, that's going on because this year, October 31st falls on a Wednesday. And I guess for that particular school, the Lafayette school, it's a half day. So they're saying that there wouldn't be enough time for students to get into their costumes and, you know, just a bunch of nonsense like that. And it would cut into instructional time and all that sort of thing. Now, um, some say that that's different from what the school district is saying. The school district says, no, no, no. The reason that we decided not to do it is because it could offend people. Uh, it could be a potential. Look, it could offend religious folks. It could affect, uh, offend uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or people that are of different cultures. Um, and that's why we've decided to put the kibosh on it. Nonetheless, people are upset. Quote, I was just really sad and I had to hold back tears. Fourth grader Lilani Nitke told KC." PQTV. One parent told the Seattle Times earlier this week um, that a vice principal said that the costumes were banned to uh, because observing Halloween could be offensive. What else here? Um, quote, it seems like another one of those things where kids are no longer allowed to be kids. Parent Hart Rusin told KCPQ. I would agree with that. Look, uh, oh, I will say this, though. Here we go. This is as as usual. They are, the, the school said that they are still planning on having a, <laughs> you knew this was going to happen. 
They're still planning to have an observance, a fall festival. Yes, good old fall festival, which will, of course, happen to coincide with Halloween. But there just won't be a lot of costumes and whatnot. When I was a kid, look, growing up, I was in elementary school in the 80s. All right. 80s all the way up to like 1990 was elementary school. All right. And we did Halloween. Everybody dressed up and they had costumes on. And if you were offended by it, you either didn't participate in school that day or you just sat there and you just didn't participate and you just did your homework and then you didn't have to have any homework that night. You know, I hate that we have to cater to everybody now. We have to bend We have to bend everything around for the very few students that might be offended because, oh, people are dressing up in costume. Not everybody dressed up in costume. Some people just didn't want to. They didn't want to bother to dress up in costume. Some people did and and they participated and that was fine. Other people, they just hung around or they just went outside or they went out to recess and did whatever they do. And it wasn't a big deal. Now we have to, oh, because one person might be offended, we have to bend the entire school day. We have to uh, change an entire day for them. So it used to be that we even made a whole learning event out of Halloween, how it came to be, what uh, what it was, why the ritual exists, what it is now. Now it's, it's very much, it's such a secular day now. Hell, Halloween is, it's not even, it's just a, we pass out candy, trick-or-treat. It's just another Hallmark holiday. It's no different from Valentine's Day or St. Patrick's Day. It's become a completely secular day. St. Patrick's Day is just an excuse to go out and get drunk. I mean, I'm sorry if that offends people, but that's what it is now, at least in American culture. This is an American story, so we're talking American culture. I know it's different outside the U.S., but here in the U.S., Halloween is, it's, it's a secular day. It's nothing. It's it's a excuse to get candy and dress up and go have Halloween parties. Valentine's Day is just another excuse to buy cards. Yeah, it's a romantic day. Sure. But I mean, in terms of how it's treated, we don't talk about the origin of the day. St. Patrick's Day, we don't talk about that. Good Friday. Well, you're not allowed to even mention Good Friday in public schools anymore. So forget that. But Halloween, we just, that was a, that was a fun day when I was growing up. And now you can't have that anymore. And look, I get it. All right. It's cutting into instructional time. And I'm the first person to say that we need to, we need to stop having all of these various nonsense blow off days in elementary school, especially, but in public schools as a whole, because as we know, when you're in elementary school, you can forget it. The first week of elementary school is basically devoted to going over rules and just having students color and introduce themselves. And it's it's, the first week is almost nothing. The last three or four days is blow off the day before winter recess, better known when we were in school as Christmas break. That's a blow off day. There's so many blow off days that you don't need any more, but At the same time, as this parent does say, it is one of those things where kids are no longer allowed to be kids. Oh, but it might offend somebody. We don't want to offend anybody. Is there a constitutional amendment someplace that says you have the right not to be offended? 
I don't know. Maybe that appeared overnight. I'm not sure the way our constitution seems to be eroded all the time. That that could have just gotten slipped in there. There was a constitutional convention. I don't know. I just read stories like this. I just it makes me want to check out. I just I really I just want to go and live off in the mountains of Montana someplace or or Nevada or I don't know, just escape someplace and just go be a hermit for a while. I don't know as it is, I practically don't go anywhere as it is now. I um I go out to walk and I go to get food to expand my ever widening ass. But really as it is, I, I just I think maybe sometimes it's just time to check out of society as a whole and have as little interaction with it as possible. Am I wrong for thinking that? I, I don't I, I like people. I'm fine interacting with people on a general basis. It's just society lately. I don't know. I read these stories. Maybe I'm just in a particularly odd mood today, too. Could be. I read this to CBS News. I see the bad journalism. Then I see another one of these stories where oh, we can't call it Halloween anymore. Where I'm sorry. Kids just uh, aren't going to be allowed to be kids anymore. And I know in the 12, 11 or 12 days between now and Halloween, I'm going to read 10 more of these stories. Yep, no more Halloween. And then I'm going to read stories about Thanksgiving. Then I'm going to read stories about we can't say Christmas anymore. And then I'm going to read, you know, a Happy New Year or any of this stuff. We can't say that. Political correctness. Don't want to offend people. I know. And I just, all right, I, I just, I need to calm down. All right. I just, I need to relax. Let's, here we go. Going to get out my, uh, my piano music. We're going to just uh, relax a little bit. Okay. All right. Take a deep breath. nothing wrong with people, Mike. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I needed this. All right. Um, you know what I really need to do? I'll just take a break. And uh, what we'll do is we'll just, we'll take a nice relaxing break. Go out for a walk. Maybe just uh, get out into the fresh air for a few minutes. And then we'll come back and get into something that shouldn't make me too mental. You know, like the Michael Groff Show stupid news file. That's always something good. And I'll, uh, I'll talk more like this. I'll just be relaxed. Here we go. Let's have the relaxed voice on for a little while. It's a kinder, gentler version of the zip code famous Michael Groff Show. Michael James Groff. So you have to, if we're going to do the uh, pretentious podcast, we have to. I'm Michael Groff the Fourth. Coming up on the Zipcad Famous Michael Groff program, a story about a man that uses. An unusual excuse to get out of a speeding ticket. He invokes his constitutional right. The First Amendment allows him to get out of a speeding ticket. That coming up has capitals air. And uh, just a lot more from the Michael Graff Show's stupid news file. That's all coming up. It's the zip code famous. It's the zip code famous. Michael Graff program. We shall return shortly.
with segment number three. It's the Zip Code Famous Michael Groff Show on a Friday, October 19th, 2012. But it, although in the interest of full disclosure, we have uh, officially gone over into Saturday. Yeah. These uh, late night episodes of the program. You know, I sat down here and it was actually, I believe it was daylight out when I started. But, you know, these shows, uh, look, it takes a little while when you have this this much energy and enthusiasm. And plus, you know, I did have to, uh, I did have to get up and, and excuse myself for a few minutes from the studio. See, if, if this were the live show days, I would have taken all that displaced energy and I would have taken it out on the listeners or I would have taken it out on something in here. I, I didn't have a whole lot of time to get up and, and take a breath and calm down. Although maybe that was the appeal. Maybe having a meltdown on the air was what made the show so great. You would sell to me. Nothing in my life ever came with a Contact information for the program, Mike at KMGX.com. That is the email address. It is Mike at KMGX.com. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. Michael Groff is the handle on Twitter. Groff Show on Google Talk. You can add me over there. Or, of course, MichaelGroff.com for everything that could possibly be Michael Groff related. I have a story here, and I just want to mention this because... I, I don't think I've heard of this ever. I mean, I, I've heard of part of this. Well, you'll see. So there is a guy, a 31-year-old man named Robert Peter Moore. He, he gets to walk free, no jail time, after pleading guilty to possession of a horde of child porn and animal porn including videos of sex with an octopus. What the hell was that? Yeah. He was arrested for having a massive collection of pornography, including 35 images and 79 videos of humans having sex with a range of animals, including pigs, goats, and horses. Nice. Judge Colin Byrne declined to view the pictures of the extreme animal porn after prosecutor Jeremy Hill Baker said the images, quote, speak for themselves. Yeah, probably, I would say so. During his mitigation at Bradford Crown Court today, Robin Fries, I guess this is uh, Moore's attorney, the pervert's attorney, quipped, quote, if the prospect of a human being having sex with an octopus speaks for itself, then my learned friend certainly has a better imagination than I. Moore, who does not accept that he is a sexual deviant, pleaded guilty to 14 counts of possessing child and animal pornography. Oh, but it gets even better than this. Yeah, the guy doesn't think that he's weird. He doesn't think that he's a deviant in any way, shape, or form. Hey, you know, who doesn't have videos of people having sex with an octopus? I really like to think that I'm as open-minded as the next guy and that I'm willing to accept people for all sorts of things. And, you know, their sexual fetishes are their business and all that sort of crap. But I think once you venture outside of your species, outside of the human race, uh, that's pretty much where I've got to draw the line. 
Once you start fantasizing about sex with things outside of the human race, outside of this species, it's time to check yourself in, I think. Uh, police had also found 82 indecent images of videos of children on his hard drive, ranging from levels one to four in terms of seriousness. Yes, indecent pictures of kids. Now, uh, the interesting part is they say here, quote, this is an unusual case as there's been no attempt to look for child pornography. The defense, well, actually, the, the court and everybody seems to agree that this guy wasn't actually intending to look for child pornography as he was too busy looking for animal porn. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. This is the first time I think I've ever heard that defense. Your Honor... Uh, you know, I, I know that I, I have a couple of incidental pictures of kids on my hard drive, um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm submitting my motion. Your Honor, I didn't intend to. I was really just looking for animal porn. So you can forgive that. <laughs> that is maybe the crit. What a weird story. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to call this guy. What's this? What's this dude's name again? This cat's name is uh, Robert Peter Moore. <laughs> that's like that i mean that name in itself is just this whole thing is rot with innuendo um let's see so yeah i mentioned he, he this guy is not facing any jail time Moore was sentenced to six months in prison but the sentence is suspended for two years he's ordered to complete 180 hours of unpaid work volunteer work i guess community service do you really want this guy out in the community is this a guy that we want doing community service? I'd say, you know what? All right, look, if we're if we're going to put you on suspended sentence, look, let's just let's just keep you in your house. Let's take away your computer. Um, let's make sure you don't have any internet access, and we'll uh, keep an ankle bracelet on you for a little while. The guy does have to register as a sex offender, though. He has to go on the sex offender registry for seven years. And because he didn't admit that he has a problem, because he thinks this is perfectly normal behavior, um, he's not eligible for any sex offender treatment programs which are provided uh, as a probation service. <laughs> I don't have a problem. I just like to look at people having sex with an octopus. How the hell does that even pop up into your mind? Like, how do you sit there and go, all right, I'm tired of looking at you know, men having sex with women or men having sex with men or women on women. I'm tired of looking at that. You know what? I've always wondered what it's like to watch a, a person getting it on with an octopus. I remember when we were kids uh, in, in school and we'd watch those National Geographics and um, it, well, there's even those National Geographic magazines, which would show naked tribes in Africa and South America and stuff. And, you know, it wasn't considered pornographic because it's an educational tool. These are just naked pictures and things like that. And then you'd watch these animal shows and you'd see animals doing it with each other, you know, and that was considered, yeah, that's fine. That's normal. But in what part of the brain clicks that says, I wonder what it would look like if a person was getting it on with an animal and this guy doesn't think he's got deviant behavior in some way. I guess we could probably file this under the truth is stranger than fiction category. What a weirdo. Speaking of truth is stranger than fiction, this week a Nevada-based company called Psychic Friends Network Incorporated released a copy of its latest investor presentation as part of its filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Now, you might remember 
Psychic Friends Network. They used to, back in the 90s, they would advertise heavily on TV with those infomercials that starred Dionne Warwick. Now, they went out of business in 1998 when their parent company filed for bankruptcy, but here they are. They're back again. Psychic Friends Network has returned. They're back, but not really. See, because in the fiscal year ending September 30th, they reported no revenue. Yeah, no revenue whatsoever. But they do forecast that by the year 2015, they uh, expect $64 million of net income. Then again, the first page of their presentation, which was filed again with the Securities and Exchange Commission, includes some important cautionary language. Get this, quote, undue reliance should not be placed on the forward-looking statement, it says, because PFN can give no assurance that they will prove to be correct. <laughs> so the Psychic Friends Network says, we are forecasting $64 million by in net income by the year 2015. Um, but just as the disclaimer on our commercials would say, hey, we have no guarantee. <laughs> no further comment is really necessary on this story, is it? That's just, there's an example. That is the ironic story of the day. Man, I love those psychic lines. I do. I haven't seen a lot of those anymore. Every once in a while, I'll hear one on the radio. I'll hear that that California psychics ad. They were so great. And I'm sure many of you at some point have been pulled over for speeding. You've received a speeding ticket or been threatened with a speeding ticket. And many people try different tactics to get out of it. The few people I know that have had it happen. Once I was on the phone with someone when they uh, got pulled over. And everybody tries, and sometimes you get the ticket, and a few people will contest it. Most of the time, you just go to court. Well, one guy in Wisconsin says that his he got a speeding ticket. He's contesting it on the grounds that it violates his religious freedom. It sounds like a completely stupid excuse, but Jeffrey L. Mank of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, was ticketed for traveling 71 miles per hour in a 55 zone in October 2011. He argues that Wisconsin's speeding statutes were unconstitutional as they violated his religious freedom because they prohibit a person, in quotes, from speeding. Mank claimed in court that his understanding of the Bible indicates that he's a man and not a person. The state court of appeals didn't buy this argument and cut through Mank's semantics. Quote, Mank does not explain as to why being a person for purposes of the speeding ticket is a burden upon his religious beliefs, the court says. We accept Mank's argument that he is in fact a person. We also accept that as a man, he is a person under Wisconsin statute Three four six point five seven four H. They actually cited the statute where a person, you know, a man is a person, or a person is a man, or whatever. There is a statute there. Well, I, I'm not, I'm not really responsible for this speeding ticket because uh, the Bible says I'm a man, and your statutes, your law says I'm a person. I would just say, all right, if we're going to use a biblical defense, doesn't the Bible also say that you're supposed to respect all the laws of the land? You're supposed to respect or whatever the rules of the kingdom or however it's worded. Isn't that also a, a tenet of the Bible? Look, just pay the damn fine. You were going 71 and a 55. Just pay it. People will do anything. They'll waste the court's time. This is why justice grinds to a halt. 
Should have gotten that guy before Judge Judy. All right. One other thing we haven't really talked about very much on the podcasts is the Major League Baseball postseason. After the first round, the divisional series in Major League Baseball, which was so compelling and epic, uh, the next round, the league championship series, especially in the American League, has been extremely disappointing. That Detroit Tigers, New York Yankees uh, series was just absolutely abysmal. Number one, uh, Jeter got hurt in game one in extra innings, and you knew that the Yankees were pretty much doomed from there. Yeah, they were playing in close games, a lot of one-run or two-run games, and it came down to uh, situations where the Yankees had many opportunities to win at least games one, two, and three of the series. But, of course, they couldn't pull it out because without Jeter and without anybody that was capable of hitting even a ball out of the infield most of the time, it was going to be a short series for the Yankees. Let's face it. A-Rod benched. Robinson Cano awful. Curtis Granderson strikes out way too much. Uh, Nick Swisher, well, he's not even going to be back there, I don't think. Um, You know, anybody, basically the entire Yankee roster, aside from Ichiro and Raul Labanez, couldn't get it done. The pitching was certainly sufficient. Yeah, game four, it got away from them. CeCe Zabathia looked terrible, and the Yankees just fell apart at that point. But then they were basically out of it. They were up against it, and they just mailed it in in the final few innings of Game 4. But really, all you have to know about the Yankees is, as a team, couldn't even hit 200. You look at some of these batting averages. When you start seeing zeros as the first number of the batting average, like 060, that's never a good thing. And Robinson Cano, who was on fire before the postseason, fell apart when it counted couldn't get a hit to save his life in the postseason. I'm amazed that they even won that series with the Baltimore Orioles. I don't still, to this day, I still don't know how they won that series. Raul Labanez, that's really how they won that series. Raul Labanez single-handedly destroyed the Baltimore Orioles and a couple of very timely hits from Ichiro. Because it certainly wasn't A-Rod. A-Rod, according to reports, was far too busy scoring with people in the crowd, allegedly. There's a report that uh, after... A-Rod was benched in game one of the American League Championship Series in Yankee Stadium. He uh, he started flirting with women in the front row. Uh, one of them was, uh, I guess, I think both of them actually were from Australia. And he started flirting with them and uh, throwing, doing the whole baseball player move where you where you take a baseball and you throw it up to them. You write, you write on the baseball, let me have your number, your phone number. And so he threw it up to both of these women. I think he obviously wanted the phone numbers of both of them. Well, one of them did give him her cell number threw the ball back. Yeah. At first, they didn't know what the deal was. And they're like, yeah, hey, you're supposed to write down your number. <laughs> and so A-Rod was too busy uh, trying to get at least to first base with these chicks rather than on the baseball diamond. No wonder he was struggling. I wonder how he did there. wonder if he struck out there, too. If his batting average in the bedroom is as bad as his batting average on the field, well, then there you go. At least the guy has a massive bank account, though. He got paid. He got his. You know, he still owed about $120 million from the Yankees, and they're questioning whether or not they're going to bring him back 
Didn't I tell you that was a bad deal when they made it? They made this, oh man, they're going to get him. They're going to get A-Rod. Never, ever, ever give a player a 10-year contract. I don't care how good the player is performing today and how good you might think they're going to perform tomorrow. Never give an athlete like that a 10-year contract. I said the same thing about Joe Maurer. I love Joe Maurer. I love the Minnesota Twins. But to give him the huge contract, what is his contract? $180 million or something like that over 10 years? A catcher? You're going to give a catcher that kind of money? A-Rod, at least you could say, well, you know, third baseman, he's he's very, very good defensively. And uh, he was popping out 50 home runs a year. But once he got caught up in the Balco investigation and once he got caught using steroids and now he supposedly isn't on the juice anymore, it is amazing how his numbers have fallen off substantially ever since then. And he hasn't been nearly the productive player that he is. And you could say, well, he's getting older. It's not just that he's getting older. It's the fact that he stopped taking the juice. He no longer has the power to drive 460-foot home runs anymore. And I think the guy has also really lost his focus anyway. When you give a guy a 10-year contract, after about year four or five, what's the motivation to play hard? What's the motivation to go after it night after night? Sure, you could say pride might be a reason. Pride is always a reason for a professional athlete to do well if somebody is one of those people that actually values pride actually values manning up and and being a positive contributor to the team rather than a positive contributor to their own bank account, which is clearly what A-Rod has done. The guy's gone into the tank. When you give a guy a 10-year contract, what's the incentive? A-Rod's already won a championship. He's already got his. So what does he need? What else can he possibly do? I get get another championship? It's not going to make him any more money, ultimately. I guess there's a few bonuses. There's a few incentives, but what are those? A, a couple hundred thousand dollars? Why bust your butt for the extra hundred grand or two hundred grand? If you're A-Rod, you might as well just try and score with the ladies. And You know, you get out there and you play well enough so that you don't get benched by, by the manager, I guess. Maybe. But he couldn't even hold that together. I admire somebody like Derek Jeter. I may not like the New York Yankees, but I like Derek Jeter. The guy... You never really hear about him much in the tabloids in a negative light. Yeah, he might be with a different women here with all sorts of different women, but he's never in like a Tiger Woods fiasco because he never gets married. He never has uh, he doesn't have children that we know of. He doesn't run around or anything. He, he, you know what he is. He's a guy who's enjoying the single life of a major league baseball player who is one of the greatest shortstops to ever play the game for the New York Yankees. So he's in a great position. But when he gets out on the field, he plays hard every single night. He goes out there. He does what he has to do. He hits over 300. He drives in runs. He does what he has to do. He plays very well. Yeah, he's lost a step or two just from age, but he's still a very good shortstop. He still plays the position well enough. He doesn't mail it in. He's not like A-Rod. And I don't know what happened to the rest of them. Nick Swisher might be another guy that's in that sort of position. I don't know. Maybe he's mailed it in too. I'm not going to say that the Yankees as a team quit because I think there were some people that were trying hard. They were just not in a position to do well. People like Ichiro came over from Seattle. It revitalized his career. Ichiro looks five years younger all of a sudden. 
which probably tells you that he was dogging it when he was still in Seattle. Those last, well, that last season, season and a half in Seattle, clearly Ichiro just was going out there and going through the motions. It showed his batting average had dropped substantially. RBIs, just on base percentage, everything, all his statistics had been dropping off and people said, well, maybe Ichiro is done. No, he wasn't done. He was just mailing it in. And then he goes to New York and suddenly he finds himself, uh, his, his stats, all this, his batting average goes up. He's dry. He's hitting key home runs. Suddenly he's driving the ball all over the field again. He's getting those infield hits like he used to get all the time back when he was hitting 340 and having 250 hits in a season. He looked like that guy again. But uh, so that tells you what he was thinking while he was in Seattle. And that happens. I can get it. Major League Baseball players, they're people just like anybody else. You go to your job and you've been working there year after year after year. You're not really getting the recognition that you feel you deserve. The company's not growing. You don't feel like you're going anywhere, but you still have to put food on the table. So you just go there. You go through the motions. You don't particularly care about customer satisfaction. You don't particularly care about how the company is doing. Just as long as you get your paycheck, you'll do well enough so that you don't get fired or you don't get written up, but you're not going to make any extra effort. Well, it's the same thing for a major league baseball player. Yeah, sure. They don't need to worry about necessarily putting food on their tables, especially when you're the caliber of an Ichiro. But at the same time, you go there. Seattle's been a terrible team for, God, 10 years now. They really haven't been competitive. Yeah, they're young again and they have all this promise for the future that you keep hearing about over and over. And maybe they do and maybe they don't. But Ichiro says, hey, I'm getting on in my years. I Why am I going out there and busting my ass every night when the guys that are hitting behind me uh, are hitting 212 and they strike out three times in a game? Why am I getting up there and busting my hump every night? So it cause, at some point you go up there and you go, you know, I'm just going to relax. Just going to take my time. Yeah, if I get a hit, I get a hit. If I don't, I don't. I'm Ichiro. It's not like I'm going to get thrown out of here. I'm under contract for a while. And even if I do, I know somebody else will pick me up. I'll go through the motions. I'll do what I have to do. I'll talk to the media. I'll be nice. I'm not going to be an absolute douche. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm really not going to put in the maximum effort like I used to. There's no reason to hustle. There's no reason to wear out my knees and my body any faster. And that's... What I think that's what happened, and I think that's what happens with A-Rod. I think that's what happened with uh, Ichiro before he went to New York. And I think that when you give a guy uh, 10-year contracts or 8-year contracts, I think this is the kind of thing that happens, especially to somebody that doesn't really have pride or doesn't really care, that's in it to get the big paycheck. And that's what some of these guys are, especially once they've won a championship, once they've gotten the big payday. What's the incentive anymore? What's the drive? Some guys, the drive is, I want to be the best and I want I want to help the team and I just want to do the job to the best of my performance. Other guys, eh, not so much. You see this in customer service. You see it um, everywhere. Some people are that way. Some people care. Some people don't. You can easily tell the difference many times. So the World Series looks like uh, the Tigers, well, the Tigers are in. And, uh, well, I, I don't know. The Giants have... Uh, well, they're, they're still down three games to two to the St. Louis Cardinals. Game six is on Sunday, and I'll be very interested to see how that plays out. But I don't know. I could still see the Giants coming back in this series. Maybe. We'll see. Regardless, the World Series gets started on Tuesday night, although I'll still be watching the third-party debate, at least for a little while, and then flip over to the World Series. I don't know. We'll see. 
All right, with that, it is time to move on to one more thing before we get out of here. Everybody's favorite, brand new and exciting segment, the worst song of the week. Yes, um, I don't, I don't know where the sounder is. Uh, it's here, but it's not working. So whatever, we'll just, we'll just get on with it. <laughs> All right, there are many candidates, many possibilities. As you know, so many different bad songs are released. All the time. But this highlights a specific song that I've found, which has been released within the last few months or so, that I deem to be just the most pitiful song that I have found throughout the course of the week. And I think you'll agree on this selection. Uh, this artist, artist in quotes, Hands Up Music featuring Mims VIC. This song is called DWI. Dancing While Intoxicated. It is the worst song of the week here on the Michael Groff Show. I already hate it. Uh, Look, yeah. she's not drunk. She's tipsy. Uh. Nine shots like she 50. That Johnny Walker, that whiskey. That super fly, that Missy. Yo. I'm all one, she's all one. So she still dance when that song done. Now, usually I don't do this, but uh, I just rolled up a long one. She came to party just to get naughty. Yeah. I drink Ciroc, but she likes Bacardi. She on that Molly, that's why she flying. Uh. I ride for Robbie, that's made for drive. I'm going to go get some Prozac or something. This is just... Pretend like you've been here. <laughs> you say you're looking for a baller. Baller. Yeah, my heart is definitely filled with hatred when I hear this. My heart filled with hatred. Oh. Are you serious? Holy crap. You guys lock up, I'm leaving. I know I ask this all the time, but I've got to meet the person that hears this and says, you know, that's actually a really good song. I have yet, whenever we present these terrible songs, I have yet to actually have someone message me, call me, talk to me and say, you know, Mike, that's really, that's, it's a good song. First of all, I don't even understand half of the words in it. Yeah. Dancing well intoxicated. Oh. I found a fork that's sitting here on my desk. I don't know what. Here it is. I'm going to use this. I'm going to gouge my ears with this. Excuse me while I do that. I'm going to gouge my frontal lobe. I already had the doctor take out the cyst that was on my back. And uh, what, what's what's more surgery? This one will be self-performed. I don't even think I mentioned that. I did. I went to the doctor. I had that uh, cyst that was on my back removed. And uh, they're sending it off to a lab for pathology. 
to make sure that I don't have creepy, gross death. But, um, yeah, now I have five stitches in my back. I don't know. I think I mentioned it at the top of the show. I don't know. That went, that happened so long ago. I don't even remember now. All right, that's, I can't take it. All right, thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there it is. Uh, you heard it for yourself. The worst song of the week. Okay. Let's, uh, let's agree. Maybe we should just ditch that feature. I always feel so defeated after that. I wonder if there's any hope for ever having good music released ever again in the history of mankind after I hear that. There were other songs that could have easily made it into the worst song of the week category. That was just the most egregious. But there were runners up. Nicki Minaj has a new song out. Maybe she'll make it into the worst song of the week. Anything Nicki Minaj is always eligible for worst song of the week, wouldn't you say? Holy God. All right. Um, if you have a song that you'd like to submit to Worst Song of the Week, you can always do so. Our contact information for the program, email mike at kmgx.com. I think we'll be introducing a new email address for the show eventually, just because the mike at kmgx.com email, there's so much spam that goes in there that I'm, I'm going to have to... Um, I'm just going to have to start a new email address specifically for the show. And uh, I'll have that rolled out eventually. I've been, I'll still check. I'll still make sure that all my email addresses get checked. But um, I think we'll be rolling out a new uh, address here very soon. Um, We're we're still working on uh, migrating the website over to a brand new server. So that's going to take a little while. And once that's all done, I think we'll uh, set up a brand new email address. Anyway... Groff Show is the, uh, that's uh, G Talk. You can always uh, message me on G Talk at Groff Show. Michael Groff is the handle on Twitter. Michael Groff Show, AOL Instant Messenger. And of course, for anything else Michael Groff related, you know that you can always turn to michaelgroff.com. While you're at michaelgroff.com, you can always listen to this and other shows. All of our old shows are up there, at least from the last couple of years. And. You can make a donation to this program. I highly recommend doing so. Donations always accepted. Our PayPal address, Mike at KMGX.com. All right, that's it. We will see you next time for another riveting, rousing, captivating edition of this. The Zip Code Famous Michael Grob Show. Have a great night, everybody.